Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by independent Derek Addis, libertarian Bruno Barron, Democrat Avis Lavelle, and conservative nationalist Jennifer Nevins. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to tweet me a comment, it's at DUMO, at D-U-M-O. If you want to join us on the World Wide Web, it's beyondthebeltway.com. That's the live show. And also, if you miss it, that's where you can find it uh, in the following days. Also, we are live on Facebook, and we're live on YouTube at Beyond the Beltway uh, with Bruce Dumont. And again, it's great to have you with us. Uh, well, this is, I was just saying to our assembled guests this evening, this is sort of the show it seems like we, we've been waiting a long, long time to discuss, and that is uh, the, the results of the, uh, the Mueller report. We don't have all the details, but we have some of the main conclusions, and that is uh, the Mueller report, after two years of investigation, found that there was no collusion involving the Trump campaign or Russia, and also they did not have any conclusive evidence to suggest that there has been obstruction of justice. So now it's gone from uh, the, the, the Mueller report and this very private investigation, which got roughed up, the, the quality of that investigation, been roughed up, including by yours truly, the last couple of years. But again, the results are out. I want to get everybody's reaction to it because now we're moving into the world of politics and how people spin the results of this report. President Trump was given a copy of the report uh, at Mar-a-Lago, and before he headed back to the White House today at the Palm Beach, Florida airport, this is what the president had to say. It's just announced there was no collusion with Russia, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction and none whatsoever. And it was a complete and total exoneration. It's a shame that our country had to go through this. To be honest, it's a shame that your president has had to go through this for before I even got elected. It began. And it began illegally. And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. This was an illegal takedown that failed. And hopefully somebody's going to be looking at the other side. So it's complete exoneration, no collusion, no obstruction. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was the president. Uh, Avis Lavelle is uh, one of our our Democrats this evening, official Democrat. Um, the issue of collusion has been uh, a part of this campaign. Uh, even when the campaign got over, the Democrats really picked up and ran with that. Uh, they've milked it as far as they can milk it, in, in my view at least. What's your view? As, as a Democrat, should they, should, that, should they now sort of put the investigations to the side, or is there some way they should double down? Investigation or investigations? Plural. Plural. Uh, I think that when you open this can of worms, whatever comes out, they're going to follow it in whatever directions they will eventually turn out mm-hmm. to expose themselves. I do think that um, the 
investigation didn't necessarily yield what Democrats had been looking for in terms of the smoking gun for collusion, but I, n I don't think I ever expected it to do that. It didn't completely exonerate uh, President Trump in terms of obstruction of justice, which is what Mueller said and what the letter said. Um, so I think that there are a lot of people who feel like they want to see the underlying report and all of the transcripts from the uh, testimony, because what you have is William Barr's report on the Mueller report. You have a four-page summary drafted by someone who uh, had essentially said he didn't think that this was a justified approach in the first place. So there are people who will feel like this was colored by William Barr's prejudice about the quest to get information. Okay. Derek Addis also joins us. Derek, uh, you always take exception if I've described you as a Democrat. You want to be an independent. You're a young guy. You're a, you're a veteran. Uh, you've been following this for a couple of years because you're, you're, you're politically interested. Yep. Uh, what do you think now? Do you, do, should the Democrats keep pushing this investigation's, uh, you know, point of view? Yeah, no, so I think uh, two things. So uh, one, uh, I think full transparency of the report is paramount. Um, and if there's anything in the report that warrants uh, further investigation, so again, the obstruction of justice was not, uh, he was not fully vindicated on that or, or uh, you know, said there was no mm -hmm. uh, right judgment. Uh, but uh, I do think that Democrats, uh, if they are serious about turning the country around in the way that they would like to, uh, we need to start really looking at the presidential election that's upcoming. Uh, and so maybe turning uh, the tide of national interest to the election and then let the lower courts um, that there's been a lot of uh, lower courts that Mueller no pushed. Impe no impeachment talk. Uh, no, not unless something incredibly damning comes out in that report. Jennifer Nevins, you have been a strong supporter yeah. for Donald Trump even before he got elected president. Absolutely. Is this the day you're looking for? And is, is there anything else in this report that you would have liked to have heard? I think the one thing, um, there was a little opening left there, which is this is not um, proving or disproving the idea of obstruction. The Democrats are going to seize on that with everything they have. Um, what we have here is we have 500 witnesses interviewed. We have 189 subpoenas, 19 lawyers, and 40 FBI agents. And they all came together and decided that there was no collusion. That will not be enough for Adam Schiff. He said that he has evidence of collusion, which is really interesting. Uh, considering the stats that I just named. But what the Democrats are going to seize on, Nancy Pelosi and the other, I want to say more rational people, um, will say is that, okay, collusion was not proven. Let's get off of that. Now we're going to move on to obstruction because it absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, was not proven that obstruction did not occur. So I am bracing myself for yet another round of investigations because the end goal here is um, impeachment. I'm not stupid. Most Trump supporters aren't stupid. The media... Um, despite how they act, are not stupid. The goal here is impeachment, and so we have now moved on to obstruction. Do you think the goal is impeachment, or, Avis, is the goal to continue to rough up the president uh, for 2020? I do not think the goal is impeachment by uh, all of the party leaders. I do think that, just like with the Republican Party, there are so many uh, views in this spectrum, and there are some people on the left who really do want to see President Trump impeached. But I think that, uh, by and large, most people feel like impeachment is not the approach. Impeachment is uh, more harmful to the country. When you, when you walk the neighborhoods with your friends and neighbors, or you're at the grocery store, 
Is anybody coming up to you, uh, maybe non-political people or semi-political people, and are they asking you uh, whether or not we need impeachment? No. I, I think most people that I know uh, put their faith in the ballot box, and they really want to see the Democrats prepare themselves for the next election. They want to see the Democrats come up with a candidate that is making sense as a choice for Democrats and independents. Okay. And right-thinking Republicans. 1-800-723-8289. I'd like to get a reaction from those listening border-to-border and coast-to-coast. Are you fed up with this discussion? Do you think the Democrats are going to try to move it forward? And if you're a Democrat, what do you want your candidates to be talking about now? I'm Bruce Dumont, live from Chicago. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. joins us. He was stuck in traffic. He's a libertarian, so he's going to plan ahead next time. But my question to you is, because uh, you've been on this program, and we've been talking about Robert Mueller for a long, long time. Right. What is your, my, my question to you is, do you expect the Democrats to keep uh, going after this or uh, with investigations? Or do you think, I know you probably think it's time to move on. But, right. Uh, is this a big win for the president? It's bigger than most. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd have to say it was at least a 7, probably an 8. I mean, who knows what's going to happen afterwards. There's obviously a great deal of politics going on here. What I think is interesting is, um, look, if if the Democrats are smart, I mean, if they have to look forward, not backward. Hillary lost the election. This is the last round of Hillary's loss. It's time to move on to other things. And I, I believe it was um, Derek. Derek who said uh, that, you know, if something pops up, Go with it if you feel you have to go with it. But in the meantime, move forward and try and run for re-election. I think what the Democrats are doing now politically is moving themselves so far off the bubble that they're actually giving Trump an opening where he might have trouble in 2020. Does everyone agree that everything should be made public? Yes, yes. I do. Okay. Yes. Yeah, barring like national security interests, but yes. Okay. Yeah. In- including the evidence, not just not just yes. the report. Okay. Yeah, again. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I-, I am hearing, and this is about the second or third week in a row that I've heard that from all of our guests. We want complete transparency. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do we also understand that if you have that complete transparency, the Democrats and some in the media potentially are going to use a little nit here or a yes. little nit here. Absolutely. And they're going to make it into bigger stories. Yes. As part of a plan to 
uh, blemish the president. Yes, that's what the whole thing was. My husband and I were talking about this this morning. We were marveling that the Republicans and the Democrats were on the same page as far as wanting um, full transparency. And the Democrats came out very forcefully for full transparency. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, it's curious that the Republicans and the Democrats seem like they're on the same page, but really they're not. What the Democrats want to do is they want to seize on some bit of that report, some name, some person, some avenue that they can go down some again. Piece of string they can Absolutely. Pull. And they get that by releasing all the names, every single uh, witness. Again, there were 500 witnesses. So I really feel sorry for the 500 witnesses because you better either not answer your phone or answer your, your mail or your email or whatever because the Democrats are coming for you. So that is really what's behind this full transparency move. Do you think the Democrats and the media are going to be taking this uh, track? You, you said earlier you don't think it's necessarily the wisest thing for the Democrats to do, but you're a former member of the media. Is this too tantalizing for the media just to stop following this trail? I think what is going to be uh, one of the things that people really began to look at is the whole obstruction of justice issue. Because uh, in so many instances, it isn't the crime or the alleged crime, it's the efforts to cover it up that get people in trouble. And I think that's where the tender underside of this whole thing is going to be probed. I don't think that people necessarily want to uh, go down the impeachment road at all. So I just think that they want to begin to understand why the effort to cover it up? Why were you so afraid? But if, they, if, if the report states that there wasn't enough evidence to, to move forward on that with any sort of indictments, there are going to be no more indictments. If, if they feel that, and um, at least once upon a time, people around this table were complaining about there were too many Democrats on the Mueller team. So I think, we, I think those who are conservative have got to say, you know what? If there were a lot of Democrats on the Mueller term, a team, uh, well, they didn't seem to get Donald Trump in this investigation. And it would seem to me that if there are, a, if there are as many anti-Trump people on the Mueller team, they would have found something, even a scintilla of, of evidence that would have suggested obstruction of justice if it was there. But they why would have been motivated to get right. it. Why wouldn't Absolutely. Donald Trump be willing to talk? That was one of the things that uh, is the most questionable issue about well, this. Well, because every lawyer that I've ever spoken to said that he should not have done it. Absolutely. The, 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 the perjury trap issue comes into play here. You know, Jerome Corsi won a huge uh, victory in that he was a Roger Stone. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a Roger Stone associate who came out and he said, the FBI came after me. They wanted to question me and they offered me a plea deal. And they said to me, um, we um, say that you lied to us. And what Jerome Corsi said is, is I couldn't remember what happened 20 years ago. And they caught me in something that I didn't have an accurate recollection of. And they said, we will offer you a plea deal for this if you sign here and you'll only do a couple years in prison or some term like that. And he said, no, we refused it. What happened? The FBI dropped the whole matter and they just walked away. There was no charge that they were going to get him on. It was a way to get him to talk. And that's what is so illegitimate about the entire um, procedure that's going on. We're not talking about something that happened 20 years ago. We're talking about something that happened in perjury. But the whole idea of a perjury trap Davis. You don't okay. get in a perjury trap unless you perjure yourself. That's not true. That's not true. When you don't recollect something to the exact scintilla of something that happened a decade ago, 20 decades ago. But we're not ago. talking about, about a decade, decade ago. I want to get back. I want to hear from, from Derek on, on the question I asked, which is uh, a lot of people have, have believed 
uh, certainly those right of center, have believed that those around Robert Mueller for the last you know, two years, mm-hmm. uh, they've been a bunch of Democrats, donors to Democratic causes, mm-hmm. and they came up with this report. Mm-hmm. There was no smoking gun, mm-hmm. and they could not come up with any evidence that suggested obstruction of justice. So my saying is, if they were as partisan as some of the conservatives believe them to be, mm-hmm. and I want to, I want to hear their response for the next, you know, three uh, three months. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't they have found something? Yeah. Reason to say, okay, uh, you know, that that he he was, you know, they did say he was not exonerated. Right. And that's the closest they could yeah, come. So and, and, and it's not, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And yeah, and so I guess, uh, you know, to remember Mueller himself was a Republican, right? And so whoever he surrounded himself with was kind of uh, the people that he felt were the best to, to do this job. And so, again— uh, let, me just, let me just stop one thing. I really don't like when Democrats say that Robert Mueller is a Republican. Right, well— There's all kinds of Republicans. Sixteen of them ran against Donald Trump, and they don't right. like Donald Those sixteen, right. no, no. they want to see Donald Trump— look bad. And so in contrast, there's different types of Democrats as well. And so all, your, your question bro- invoked the, the, the partisan politics of the individuals involved. So that's right. the only reason why I, I prefaced with ahead. that. So what I'm saying is, uh, so in, I want to see the report because that's the only way we're going to be able to actually get to the heart of your question. So do I believe that, look, I, I don't know uh, Barr, I don't know Mr. Barr personally or anything, and I don't have the whole history of his life. Um, but what I do know is that for a two-some-odd-year investigation to come to your door and for you to, within 48 hours, turn around some four-page report, I don't have full faith in that. I'm not saying that he's wrong, but I'm saying let's, like maybe a week's worth of due diligence to look through everything to, to substantially say, hey, these are, these are my recommendations. And again, like I'm not trying to look for a sliver or something to pull on, but the fact that it didn't exonerate him of obstruction of justice didn't mean doesn't mean that he's guilty in it and doesn't mean that he's not guilty and I think he's leaving it the door open for everyone else to Bruno, decide. I, I have not been exonerated from abusing my wife. I've never <laughs> abused my wife. No one has ever accused me of it. I've, but I've not but I've not been exonerated of it, which is a really strange thing to for either side to say at any point in time. What I think is but very were you in, ever investigated for it though? Uh, no. So no. that's the difference. But, the difference well, here is that well, there was well, an well, active investigation okay, it's into it, that so someone, there was no decision yeah, made. Someone could throw an investigation right? at me at any point in and time. And they decide whether you're guilty or not, right? Particularly yeah, particularly so we, in today's environment, yeah. you are anybody, particularly in public office, is so open to any kind of investigation that it's actually a pretty dangerous thing to do to run, even run for office if you're oh, yeah. at all controversial. Right. And Trump is clearly controversial. So a couple of different things. No, number one, yes, we should all see the report, and I'd like to see all the evidence. What I think is interesting around here, and, I, and this is where I think Donald Trump has an awfully good opportunity to go on the offense, is that, and I've been saying this for the longest time, the entire report, the, the dossier, uh, that was all financed by the Hillary Clinton campaign, and then they bootstrapped that into FISA warrants that never should have been war- uh, that never should have been put out there. That you could make the case at this moment in time, particularly with these le- recent revelations of, of the last couple forty eight hours, that there is as strong a case that the Obama administration was engaging in complete yeah. and open abuse of power to go after a campaign and then a president. And the carryover that that what we have here is the entire apparatus of the FBI and what some people might want to call the deep state. And you can we can argue whether it exists or not, literally went after a sitting president because they didn't like the result of an election. Well, that's what the president that's what the president certainly was hinting at the at the airport today said, you know, there's there's a lot to be looked into. Now, let me ask you from a political perspective. 
because there are those on the, on the right that have suggested we need a, another special prosecutor to look into the actions of the FBI and the Justice Department. From a political standpoint, Jennifer, is that a good idea? Do you want to see that happen? You know what, I'd like to see it happen after 2020. Frankly, I would like to get through 2020. We, I would like to get back to the issues. I would like to put the Mueller, forcefully push back on the Mueller report and say, here you go, Democrats. You're going to start up your investigation machine yet again, but here is the report that you were waiting two years for and you said you were going to be satisfied with, but really you're not. And then I would like to revisit this issue in 2020 because I think it's a very valid one. I don't want to see one? it put is away. This, is this a piece of information, uh, Avis, that, that do you think they're – Republicans should pick up and, and have their investigation or call for their investigation, even though they don't control, uh, you know, the House? I think they will. I don't think it's necessarily a path that they should go down, but I think that they will. I do agree with Jennifer, though, that what we really need to do is concentrate on 2020, mm-hmm. because I think that this is what voters, Republican voters, Democratic voters, independent voters, we have special counsel fatigue Mm-hmm. You know, we've waited two years for this baby, and it turns out we can't figure out whether it's a boy or a girl. Well, but yeah. it's here. Let's just care for the baby, move on, and do what we need to do as elected and, officials. And I, I think with that, like, we shouldn't forget that there was 30-some-odd indictments, and six of them were part of an inner circle that was part of the campaign you spoke of. So whether or not the intention was to get the president or whatever, that's what came out of the, that two-year uh, But not related thing. to Russia or collusion. So, well, some of them were Russian individuals that were indicted. Yeah, that will never be extradited because they're Russians. That's right. right. Well, they're tw- it doesn't actually, matter. I think 26 yeah. of them. The point is uh, they did what they did, which was an attempt to uh, affect our election. Right. And I don't think anybody, uh, even the president, I don't think they dispute that. Now, uh, maybe the president yeah, does. Yeah. Back surely from Chicago. <laughs> debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Let us now let our guests introduce themselves, and we will begin with Avis Lavelle. Hi. I would consider myself still a political journalist uh, in retirement, perhaps, uh, because that's where I spent about 12 years uh, ending my broadcast career at WGN Radio as their chief political correspondent. And that launched me into uh, a government career as uh, the press secretary for Richard M. Daley as mayor of the city of Chicago. That sent me to the Clinton campaign when so many of my colleagues went to Little Rock. I went to Little Rock with them. You were on the first wave. You were on the first plane. I was the first wave of the Clinton (laughs) Gore. Along with a guy by the name of Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel, David Wilhelm, David Axelrod, all of us, yeah. David Wilhelm. Uh, I went from there into Health and Human Services, which gave me a real perspective on policymaking. 
uh, came back home, ran uh, several campaigns, including being the uh, Illinois party campaign manager for the John Kerry campaign. We were the only state he won, mm. <laughs> but we were. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I do political work, but also government affairs consulting. Okay. Bruno Berend. I'm Bruno Berend. I'm a senior fellow on education issues with the Heartland Institute. Um, and I uh, do speaking engagements, debates on education policy, uh, primarily promoting uh, school choice. I also uh, just started my very own PAC called the UBI PAC, and I'm one of the uh, few but growing number of conservatives uh, and libertarians who actually think that a universal basic income uh, as a replacement for a whole slew of very, very bad governmental policies uh, along welfare would actually be a good idea. Um, and uh, it, most people think that's more of a left-leaning thing. Very few people know that the original synthesis of the idea came from um, uh, Friedrich Hayek and Milton Friedman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Derek Addis. Yeah, I'm actually going to see uh, Andrew Yang tomorrow. That's one of his, uh, you know Andrew Yang? Yeah. Yeah, so that's UBI's You're one of his. you here in Chicago? Yeah, tomorrow. You want to go? We'll, we'll chat after the thing. Okay. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm uh, Derek Addis. I'm um, an MBA candidate at DePaul. I'm an Iraqi war veteran. Um, I currently work in uh, media marketing. Uh, I, in a world full of disagreement, I try to facilitate uh, conversations between differing opinions, different, differ, differing, differing is the right word, right? Mm-hmm. Differing opinions, uh, and uh, so that we all kind of just get to this point where we understand that we all kind of want the same things. Uh, and it's mostly but, you're, but also, uh, although you describe yourself as an independent, yeah. uh, you liked Bernie Sanders, and you still like Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie Sanders is, is my man, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, that, that puts a little... <laughs> focus on your independence. But that's Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Jennifer Nevins. Yeah. Um, for Donald Trump, right? Did I read oh, that in the papers? Kind of, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Um, actually, um, Bruce puts me on his show and affectionately refers to me as the original Trumper, and that's because when there were 17 people on the debate stage, I was for Donald Trump. And part of what Donald Trump stood against and still stands against is the idea of the swamp. And I'm here to tell everybody that the swamp is not only restricted to the Democrats. It is alive and well, especially in the Illinois GOP. The swamp is deep and wide, and there are many alligators. So I am happy to be here. Okay. Uh, before we move on to discuss uh, uh, the, the uh, specifics of the uh, uh, what's happening uh, with the presidential politics, I do want to spend a moment talking about John McCain and, and President Trump. Uh, we talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's not totally out of the picture yet, but uh, Jennifer, I want to I want to ask you this question first. Are are you pleased or displeased with the way in which the president continues to talk about John McCain? I am semi-displeased. And what I mean by that is I wish he would just sort of move on from John McCain. I do not blame him for speaking out about uh, John McCain's involvement in peddling the dossier. John McCain, regardless of his uh, POW status, which is honorable um, to some degree, um, has been a perennial pain in the you-know-what. However, I think that engaging in taunts and in certain remarks to the McCains uh, is counterproductive. I understand his frustration. It's shared by most of uh, people on Donald Trump's team. But I think it's sometimes, um, especially when you're dealing with a veteran um, and someone who is in the Hanoi Hilton, you would be best served by kind of moving on from that particular topic. Uh, Bruno Berend, your response to uh, the way in which the president continues to be obsessed with John McCain? It's pretty similar uh, to Jennifer. I mean, look, McCain <clears throat> McCain was no Boy Scout, and he's, uh, policy-wise, 
and presidential politics wise, I think he's way overrated. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, Donald Trump is he won the election. Since then, he has had some successes. But everything that goes wrong for the guy is an unforced error on his part. Uh, much of what goes wrong for him is an unforced error on his part. And this is one of those things. How about just letting it go, move, move forward? About, I'm going to just look, challenge look the 2020. <clears throat> you say an unforced error. Now, certainly there are enough unforced errors that Donald Trump is absolutely positively responsible for. But the one point that the president has made, which no one seems to either understand or, or certainly acknowledge – as it comes to John McCain, everybody keeps coming back, well, he was a national hero. There isn't anybody that debates that John McCain was a national hero. They're talking about John, certainly the president is talking about, John McCain's conduct in, frankly, the closing years of his life in which he took the Steele dossier and he personally passed it on to the FBI, which may or may not have been the right thing to do. I'm not challenging that he did that. Because there was, if somebody thought that the president was uh, a traitor, but that's, I think you would pass it on to the FBI. That's the logical place. But when your chief, one of your chief political operatives takes that same information, by the way, that was only about 30 pages that he passed on to the FBI. But when one of your chief political operatives takes that information and passes it on to BuzzFeed after trying to get it into the mainstream of media exploration. That's different. Yeah, that's, it, that's, that's mean-spirited. Yep. It's character assassination. And, and the president says all the problems he began to have that put him on defense with the charge of Russian collusion, which we found out today is not true. It's a fair It critique. started with the actions of John McCain mm-hmm. as a United States Senator, now I want, I want to hear from our Democrats to see if there's any aspect of this description mm-hmm. that I've made that you disagree with. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, well, I would say that I don't think the people looking into Trump's actions started with that dossier. I think it started with the words that he uses himself, right? And so throughout the the entirety of this whole Trump phase of of most people's lives, uh, pre. Uh, pre-running for the president and then now through on to today, um, he has always had some form of person to attack or thing to attack to rile up his base so they all have something to chant and, and, and be, Red be yeah, like be you know, cohesive about. Is that about. right or wrong to, to do it, that with, a ba- with your base? Well, in, in your well view, is the that thing right is, okay, so the other report that came out that nobody's talking about is a report that shows that in the triple digits, I want to say it was like 422%. Um, uptick in in violence in the places where Trump holds rallies, like, and we're talking about like violence against people. So whether it's like hate, I, I wanna, hate I, violence, I, or I, I, I want to come back and try to focus. I know you do, but right. that's but, 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 no, but that's look, part of it. That, that, you know what I mean, oh, that's God. a subject you want to bring up, <clears throat> and maybe and, and maybe that's a valid question. I want to stick to the subject of why it is that the president, in my opinion, is so obsessed with John McCain. And by the way, no one in the media, by the way, no one in the media has put it into the context that I've just put it into. Everybody puts it into the context that you're picking on a war hero. He's not picking in his – we know that he doesn't think much of as a war hero. But in this particular case, he believes that John McCain, this great hero Mm -hmm. who spent five years and everybody or a lot of people love – Mm-hmm. That on one day maybe did something he should not have done or he should not have allowed or perhaps encouraged 
his political operative to get this out into the mainstream. Now, let me. Ask I really you. think that it is that that's a piece of it. I think the other thing is that it really sticks in his craw that John McCain was the one vote that didn't allow him to sink the health care mm-hmm. reform. I bill. agree with that, and I, I feel like though this is something when he has not been able to deliver on most of the things that he said he was going to do when he was a candidate, that this was something that he felt like John McCain personally stood in the way of. I think the problem is, though, it seems so childish and petty and so mean-spirited to keep going. He's made his point, but he's making the same point over and over and over again, and I think that is really a problem for people. I agree with you. It is viewed as petty and uh, as petty and, and, and mean-spirited. And childish. And childish. But in the context of, of the way I presented it, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the, the point is, this was a dossier that suggested Donald Trump. Let, let's, it, it's more than just the collusion with the Russians. This is a dossier which was paid for by the Clinton campaign, which is now given to John McCain, and we're dealing with facts now, mm-hmm. and one of his deputies takes it and tries to get it into BuzzFeed. He got it into BuzzFeed, and once he got it into BuzzFeed, it got into the mainstream. Now, this was a, this was a, a document that, that dealt with the sexual proclivities alleged of the president-elect of the United States, and there's no evidence that it's true. But it's out there. Well, it's an element of character assassination mm-hmm. right. perpetuated by the dossier so, and a and a and a right. alleged respected United States senator is the one that gets it out there. I'm just saying, as you so, know, what in your in the closing right. days of your life, mm-hmm. yeah. Senator McCain, mm-hmm. right? You made a huge mistake. Yeah, and I'm not. And that's why a lot of Republicans yeah. despise right. John McCain. Right. And, and I'm not the first to, because politically aligned, John McCain and I are not, right? I do respect his service to the country and all that. So but, do I. But mm-hmm. I don't think, like, in this instance, fighting fire with fire is the right thing to do. You're the president of the United States. You call out that this person did something, and it was nefarious, and it was a pretty bad thing, and it character assassination tried, right? Do it in a, in a in a professional way, in a in a presidential way to say I disagree with John I, McCain. I, I agree with, the way I he agree talks with about you. Him is, the president, you know? as he frequently is, is not very artful in making that explanation. Not even close. I think what what infuriates him, and I think it's facts here, is that when he sees a double standard, mm-hmm. and when he sees someone that's held up as this hero, mm-hmm. this guy that can walk on water, right. and in his heart he believes that guy was a character assassination in the closing days of his life. I'm Bruce Dumont Vector. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
Barry, you were making a point, and then we're going to move on. Oh, gosh. Uh, I just wanted to say Coming quickly, down the elevator. Uh, I, I just wanted to say quickly that this whole McCain thing, one interesting aspect of it is that Donald Trump, you know, McCain went after Trump early, early in the election cycle, and Trump responded in kind by going after his record as a POW, which, you know, he, he, he I thought he was toast after that. I thought he was toast after he so said the, the comments about Mexicans. And the guy proved everybody wrong, but... You know, at some point in time, maybe you should, should do stuff that people don't want to take revenge on you. Well, by the way, one last thing. What followed that is he criticized George Bush and the American Intelligence Association, uh, not Association, American Intelligence establishment for, for uh, establishment for uh, feeding us a bill of goods on, on the Iraq war. Well, and was I he mean, wrong? He, he had, was he wrong? No, no, he wasn't. But I'm saying. You, these were unorthodox things yes. that are, and he got he continued to get away with it because he continued to win primaries. So maybe he's so. being unorthodox now, and maybe he'll continue to get away. With well, it. I don't think he's he's not going to apologize for it. So whatever. Um, let's now switch gears. Let's talk about we talked about that uh, maybe this part of the campaign to replace uh, Donald Trump is over. Somebody uh, on one of the Sunday shows today said that really today or tomorrow is really the first day of campaign 2020 because now they can focus on Donald Trump and and maybe put the uh, impeachment issue aside and focus on coming up with issues that are going to kick him out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, Fox News came out with a poll today of Democrats, and this is what their poll had to say with uh, at least some of the major candidates running. Among Democratic primary voters, this is according to a a preference poll that ended on the 20th of March, Joe Biden runs in first place with 31 percent, Bernie Sanders at 23 percent, Kamala Harris of New York with 8 percent, Beto O'Rourke also at 8 percent, uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey at 4%, and Elizabeth Warren at 4%, and, and, and the rest of the field is below 4%. Now, when those same Democrats were asked what was moving them, uh, what was the biggest issue? Was it their desire to beat Trump, or was it just because you liked a particular candidate? 51% of the Democratic voters said they want someone that can beat Trump. And secondarily, at 36%, were someone that they liked their particular position on. And then you go to the issue of, okay, well, who would actually win if an election were today, which obviously is not. And you see that Joe Biden beats Donald Trump 47 to 40%. Bernie Sanders beats Donald Trump today 44 to 41%. But, those are the box numbers for those watching on TV, but Donald Trump continues to beat Elizabeth Warren 42 to 40 and Kamala Harris at 41-39. And those figures are all within the margin of error. So basically it's, it's even. Avis, how do you look at that field? And is there anything in there in that field that surprises you? Well, first, Kamala Harris is from the other coast, not from New York, but from California. That's right. I'm sorry. Uh, but I think that that is so early. Is so very early, and there's so much shifting in here. I, I don't think I'm surprised about Joe Biden being at the top. Joe Biden is a comfortable candidate choice at this point. But I, I just think that a couple things. One, I think there's this false uh, view of how much influence the parties are going to have. I think there are more and more Americans who are finding themselves with less and less party allegiance because I think the parties are both parties are becoming smaller, and the number of people who strictly identify themselves as a Democrat or Republican 
those are smaller numbers. So when they poll and say, what do Democratic voters think and what do Republican voters think, I don't think that that really is a true reflection of... Does that help Howard Schultz? Do you think that's... I think it could. Yeah. I think it could. I, I, I'm not the voice of the independent, but you know, I do feel like there are a bunch of people out there who have less of a party allegiance. They, what they are more aligned with are ideas mm-hmm. and concerns that they want to hear people address. What, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or any other label. Fix my problems. Derek, let me ask you. you you've identified you're for, you're for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. In your opinion, what does Joe Biden stand for? I, yeah, that's the thing. No one, no one really – first of all, Joe Biden is not running for president. I think that's my biggest problem with the way that all these polls are being conducted. I understand that if you go to a sample size of however many people and you say, who would you vote for for president – they get to choose their own answer. But maybe we should say, of the list of people running for president, who are you choosing? I think that our polls would be more representative of who actually should be in the front, uh, in the lead. Um, So I'll start with that. So in terms of Joe Biden, I don't know. All the other candidates were in the the polls. Right. They just happen to show those that are, are, you know, that, Right, but you're asking me. a pretty low bar. Right, but you're asking me what's Joe Biden's policies. And the reason why we don't know is because he's not running for president and he's not espousing anything that he actually believes in. But he's been a public figure for but he's, 30 years. He's still not the guy. He's, he's number two, the vice president. He may have had policies as a vice president, but as a front-running candidate, other than the other times he ran for president, he's not. You know. Jennifer Nevitz, look across the aisle and uh, yeah, offer th- your assessment. I of think that it's field. interesting because you have Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. What does that say to you? It says that there's a refutation of this idea of identity politics. What do we have? We have two people in their early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, white men, neither of late whom 70s. late 70s. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Who and I would even throw Bernie Sanders in this pot. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, neither one of them employ the kind of incendiary language than Kamala Harris and even Kristen Gillibrand and some of these other people are saying right now. Neither one of them do. They both have kind of different, I think that Joe Biden might be considered a little more moderate, uh, old Uncle Joe, than, um, than Bernie Sanders. But isn't this interesting? That's a huge disparity in those numbers. It's early. I agree with you. It's very early. But what does that say? And I think that that might be a signal to people like Nancy Pelosi and other party elders when they say, how are we going to approach 2020 when they see that maybe identity politics isn't the ticket? Ten seconds, and then we got to move on. Uh, look, the, the Democratic uh, uh, base wants to go to identity politics and wants to go hard left, and everybody else in the party is saying no, and, and, they, they, and it's electability that they're worried about. This is very good news. It's, it is a snapshot, but it's good news for Biden because he's got Bernie Sanders as second place, who's the opposite in, 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 uh, or, or, or more aggressive on social and d- democracy. But the rest, of the, the rest of the identity politics all splits five, six, seven ways. We've got a break. Hour number two coming up with the same guests. Don't go away. 1-800-723-8289. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, 
but making a difference? Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Uh, left of center this evening, we have Avis Lavelle, who I don't really consider too far left. Uh, Derek Addis also joins us, who is looking at himself on TV, hey. which he should not do. Uh, Bruno Barron joins us on the right side, as well as Jennifer uh, Nevins, who's a uh, strong uh, Trump supporter. You know, uh, in that recent poll that Fox did of uh, Democratic voters, they all agreed that, um, that health care should be the issue. They liked the idea of, of, of Medicare for all. But on some of the other issues, uh, there was a considerable split. Insofar as the Green New Deal only – and by the way, these are voters that, you know, they favored. They want someone that they can elect, not someone that necessarily is going to speak to their particular issues. But only 37 percent of those felt that the Green New Deal was a good idea. Only 31% thought that reparations was a good idea, and only 25% thought that abolishing ICE was a good idea. So that, to me, says that it's more of a moderate, uh, at least the, uh, these uh, results that are in thus far. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Is there, do you agree that health care is the, is the issue to be discussed, Derek, if you want to get Democrats involved? 
No, I believe so. I believe that that gets to say to invoke healthcare into a political discussion gets everyone involved because everyone has an opinion on on how it should be dealt with. Um, so, but considerably talking about the Democrats, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a number of people who have problems with healthcare costs right now, the rising costs or just sustainability of the healthcare system, and I think it's a really good issue. Davis Lavelle? I am old enough to have been around the first time that we tried to do this, and the devil is always in the details. Everybody wants health care reform, but how do you do that? Medicare for all or Medicaid, whichever CAID or CARE you want to call it, it's going to come down to the details. It's got to do with having a public option, but it's also got to do with people feeling that they can keep their own doctors. It's got to do with how we're going to pay for it and how we're going to reform the whole payment structure because it's just not that simple. The first Clinton-Gore campaign, everybody was on board for health care reform, but then we were nibbled to death by ducks when we got down to the details of what this was actually going to be and how you were going to pay for it. Now, you work, what you mentioned in the introduction in the last hour, you worked for the Bill Clinton campaign. You, you mm-hmm. came out of the Little Rock operation, which, which made Bill Clinton the president of the United States. Um, to what extent, and you were involved in the John Kerry campaign in the state of Illinois, how active were you for Hillary Clinton? I did some phone banking. I, I did some work here on the ground, but I wasn't actively engaged. Were there many people that were very active for Bill Clinton that were not very active for Hillary? Did she have her own group that she brought together? Yeah, it was different. It was different. And insofar as looking to, to 2020, uh, Joe Biden, his pedigree really goes to Barack Obama. So are the Clintons, in your view, likely to have a, a big say or any say in, in this field of, uh, of 15 or 20? I don't feel like it will be uh, as much of an impact as you might think. I do feel like there are people who are um, diehard Clintonites and people who have great affinity for the Clintons and some of their views and some of their affinities for our candidates will rub off on the people that they favor for the people who support them like that. But I, I feel like... People are going to be of the the political era in which they're operating. And that was then. That was 1992. This is a different world. And so I don't feel like whatever affinities you had in 1992 are going to necessarily influence where you go to deal with today's problems in 2019. Do you believe that the the, the problems that the president have had with Monica Lewinsky and sort of the womanizing aspect of Bill Clinton's life – has that made him somewhat of a pariah to some Democrats running this year, specifically to some of the females, women that are running? I think some, to some extent. And I think what's interesting to me is that it's, it's probably not as much about uh, what he did back then as it is about the failure to be able to face up to it, to accept it, to say, I did wrong, yeah. I, I feel bad about it. You know, because I think that that would have bought him more support right. in today's world. Right. Okay. It, it's it, what's funny. About, I mean, look, if we're looking out at what the Democrats are going to do or, or, or what direction they're going to go, they have a very simple choice and they can go hard left identity politics. And if they do, I think it's reasonably certain that even if Trump has weaknesses, he's probably going to get reelected. And then the the only problem they really have right now between Biden and Sanders as being the two old white guys um, is that 
you know, those guys could make a mistake or they might be viewed as too old or, or it'll just be, a, a, you know, one of those really tough, low, low turnout elections. But as, as far as the Clintons are concerned, I mean, you're, you're going to you, you've got the Clintons have their power is waning. The, the Obamas are still out there. They're still playing the game. They're involved in a lot of different things as, as far as organizing. And they're not flexing it very much. Well, how would we know? I mean, maybe they're not. Maybe they are. As you know, maybe they're waiting. Well, they have said they're not going to make an endorsement in in the primary, which seems to me is somewhat of a slap to Joe Biden. Perhaps, but it's also he's not even in. Not yet. running. That's what I'm saying. Well, you know, Why are we see, so, I'm he's not, not sure he's not running. I don't think he's running. Okay, but he no, hasn't he's announced. He hasn't announced. He's not running. It. I know that, but well, I don't do. know that he's not. But I'm saying right now he's not. Yeah, we keep invoking him into the conversation. Let me say about Joe Biden, and this hasn't come up yet, and I will be very blunt. Joe Biden is going to run up against the same Me Too problem that Bill Clinton would run up against. Anybody who... Not quite. Well, okay. Maybe not quite, but listen. um, Shades of it. Because anybody who is listening to my voice right now can Google for themselves Joe Biden with his hands on women. You will come up with at least 50 images of his hands all over young women, old women, children. This is what he does. And I'm telling you sometimes, and they're not photoshopped images to my knowledge, sometimes the photos are just downright strange. And so I think that this is, in the Me Too era, unless that wanes very quickly, and maybe the Democrats will put that on the shelf should he be the nominee, which would be interesting, a study in hypocrisy. That is going to be something that he's going to have to deal with. The creepy Uncle Joe. Sorry, but it's it's out there, guys. So Our... Are Biden uh, and Beto and Bernie Sanders, are they getting a media push because they're white men? And is being a white man in the current Democratic Party, that's an albatross around their neck? It's weird because the polls that you show don't indicate that. They do not. So I think that maybe if the media gets a hold of that and really gets smart, I should say, and I say that as a Trump supporter, right? But if they look at that and they get woke to the idea that maybe you don't have to be in a certain demographic to get votes, they might help be boosters. But right now, as it exists, I think that the uh, momentum is on the side of women. I think that for the media, because of the creature that the media is, it's about a horse race. Yes. They've got to have a horse race. They've got to make it be competitive so yeah. that people are paying attention to it. I don't know that there is as much of a fervor out here for the horse race as the media always makes it seem like. Because that is where, I mean, we go to poll after poll after poll, and it's like, which horse is in is, front? Is Beto, the, is Beto their can I agree with you. But is, is Beto the ideal person to have out there for the media? Isn't he, isn't he the best story that's out there? He's a fresh flavor of the right now, right. the month. Yeah. yeah. I want to come back and talk about that. We've also got a full board of lights. We'll bring our folks in from coast to coast and border to border. Wherever you are listening this evening, thanks for taking out a, taking some time away from the basketball tourney to join us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. 
Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Back in Chicago, again, looking at the uh, the Fox polls, even though the Democrats said that electability is important to 51% of those polled, 84% in the poll were either for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, who would be certainly uh, far left of center. So 84% at the moment of that Democratic Party is looking for somebody that is, at least collectively, that's a lot more people than the 47% that at the moment are for Uncle Joe. We've got lots of callers on the line. Let's head to one of the most beautiful states in the U.S., Idaho, Meridian, Idaho. Bob is listening to us on KBOI. Go ahead, Bob. Hello? Bob, are you there? Well, I said that nice thing about Idaho, and uh, Bob's not there. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee is a good place. Rick, are you there online too? Okay. Is there anybody? Put anybody on the air and just let's see who they are. Who's next? Uh, This is Mark in Monterey, California. Mark in Monterey, California, also a beautiful place in this country. I served not far from there at Fort Ord many years ago. I protected the United States from the street communists of the 60s. Go ahead. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. Hey, uh, Bruce, before I make my point, let me share a little shop talk with you. Um, I noticed that on hold that I can't hear the program very well at all. It's, it's way down, like maybe minus 30 dB. Okay. So you might have your chief technician check the on hold audio. I'm going to have our, our technician check that and also find out why we lost the last two calls. But we'll check on okay. that. Maybe, maybe they can't hear the show, so they think they that we're not listening yeah. to them. So. We'll, we'll look into that. Yeah, that we'll, could be. Very good. Could be. So, so here was my point. Um, when, you were, when you were given the poll numbers last hour, and uh, Trump was behind most of the people with the exception of Elizabeth Warren, I think the one positive for Donald Trump no, 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 no. is that— he would, No, he, no, he was behind uh, Bernie, and he was behind Biden. So he was behind the two men. He was ahead of the two women that I referenced. Okay. We're in the top four. I, there wasn't there, there wasn't think, one against Beto O'Rourke. Okay, I think one of the positives for him is we know all his negatives. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and and the other the other candidates, we don't know enough about them. You know the bad news about them. So you know once we learn more about um, uh, Bernie Sanders and Beto and Joe Biden. You could see those numbers drop. How about uh, Kamala Harris and her uh, longtime friendship with Willie Brown? I don't think that's a national issue uh, or awareness at the moment. It is in California. Yeah, I don't, it might be, but that's not going to hurt her in California, but that may affect how people feel about, about her in Iowa? around the country. Yeah, Iowa, Idaho. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Nothing hurts you know, a Democrat in San Francisco, there. by the way. No. Nothing yeah. would hurt a Democrat. You know, Go ahead. Bruce, there is some audio out there on YouTube of Bernie Sanders from years ago in an interview. I think it was on public radio 
where he was saying that he thought bread lines were not a bad idea. Now, you know, if he becomes a serious candidate and the Republicans put that into an ad, he's cooked. Uh, to, some, know, he's to, to, to some extent, although I think that, you know, what people say and what they do 20 or 30 years later, I, I think is probably less and less important, at least in a presidential election. Maybe it's something that's important in a Supreme Court fight, but I th- I don't, in a presidential election, I don't know whether it makes a lot of sense or not. Well, I know that, that Mitt Romney was not helped by uh, allegations of, of him being a bully when he was in yeah. prep school. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I mean, the point is, whoever the presidential ca- – you, your, your point, your basic point is well taken. We know a lo- there's a lot of dirt out there on Donald Trump. The American people know it, and at least 62 million people looked the other way and voted for him. Some of them may have held their nose and do it, did it, but, you know, he's, he's got a base of, uh, you know, maybe 60-plus million, whereas you're right, there's a whole list of Democrats that we don't know much about. And we will yeah. soon, I mean, I- we will know a lot, we will know about them. And by the way, one of the things that I, I think is, is a good idea, and I know that, you know, I don't throw a lot of bouquets to CNN very often, but I do like the idea that they're giving one hour to introduce uh, virtually all of the Democratic candidates uh, to a national audience. Some, I think, have done very well. Uh, and certainly, insofar as getting to know them as, as people, I think that uh, that helps people make their decisions. And it gives an opportunity to sort of the, you know, the lesser-known candidates uh, to be seen. Avis has got a comment. I disagree that we know all of Donald Trump's negatives. Okay. Because I really feel like with that feud of 16 and uh, Republican candidates, and I don't think that people took Donald Trump seriously as a candidate uh, early on. There were a lot of people who probably dismissed out of hand. I don't think that they did all of the research that they could have done and should have done in terms of opposition research. I think that there are a lot of things that may come out in the next year or two as a result of where some of these threads have started to unravel. We never saw his tax returns. We don't know what business dealings there are that people uh, would find untoward or that uh, may have tax underlying tax problems. So I think that as a negative, we know the negatives from the behavior that we've seen as a result of who he's been the last two years as president. But I don't think that he was thoroughly vetted by uh, either the Republican opponents or by the Democrats. Do you agree with that, Jennifer? No, I don't believe, I don't agree with it at all. I mean, this man has just undergone, just completed today, just completed a huge exam by 40 FBI agents, 19 attorneys, so on and so forth. The unknowns that exist out there, whether there were some business dealings, whether there was a sexual escapade, whether there were all these things, we've already kind of had some of those already. We had a a tape with Access Mm. Hollywood. There have been things that the public has kind of dealt with already. So we know, what if there were five other affairs? What if there was something going on? What about the Southern District of New York that may have criminal activity by him or by members of his The Southern District of New York headed up by someone who is a rabid, rabid Clintonite. Um, we all can see, again, kind of the, what's going around today, the but discussion of... The president, right? But, but the discussion, though, today, and I hope it centers on this, is politically motivated takedowns. So if we look at what's going on in New York, many people, especially in light of what happened today, are going to look at that and size it up as a politically motivated takedown. I, I, but I the facts will be what the facts well, are. Yeah, they will, but I, I think... I'll, I'll back up Jennifer on this point. It's like 
whatever else comes out, let's say something new comes out, people are going to look at that and go, is that all it is or is that all you got? I mean, this guy, look, it's not that people don't care so much whether Trump did X or Trump did Y or whether something new comes out. It's that his character or his lack of character or whatever you want to call it, is it's known it it's out there and i mean he's the guy who said early in 20 in late 2015 early 2016 i could shoot somebody on times square or or whatever rockefeller center and it's not going to change my base i think he's proven that to be true right or wrong but he's got 43 to 45 percent of the people and that's not going to change by the way the the u.s attorney for uh, the southern district of new york would have been appointed by president trump not by president clinton so if he's a Clinton, oh, well, I mean, it, it doesn't. All US, the whole, Jennifer, all U.S. attorneys are appointed by the president of the United States. So if there's if there is a if sure. there is a Republican out there, uh, and he, he's the attorney general, or he's the he's the uh, assistant U.S. attorney, or the U.S. attorney, he was appointed by Donald Trump and this Justice Department. But what we have so seen, though, someone but within the Justice Department can look beyond someone who appointed them and say. I think this person is, has done something wrong, then I think perhaps he should be congratulated for his or her integrity, not suggesting that they were appointed by the right I would person. only suggest that his team, if you look at the team members and his people like I have um, that are backing him up, that were in place um, in that office, um, in that organization, they are um, not friendly to Republicans. Okay. So. Again, I don't know the politics of the U.S. Attorney for Boston, but when the U.S. Attorney for Boston uh, opens a can of worms with his investigation into college admission testing, and he comes up with two members of the Hollywood elite who now look who are who are now treated as as pariahs within uh, the world because of the parenting they did, is that um, is that a good thing or bad thing? Is Donald Trump uncovering something? I'm going to ask you this, Derek. By that U.S. Attorney doing what he's doing. Uh, the the targets are Hollywood elites. Is that a good idea? The Hollywood elites are not for Donald Trump, but the I, Hollywood le- elites yeah. are being held up for doing something very bad that the average person can relate to. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, this goes into something that I noticed at a very early age. We talked about the partisan politics of our Supreme Court justices, which are the pinnacle of our judicial system. And as I saw that emanate down into all the lower courts, all the way down to local municipalities, it, it troubles me. And even to this day, we're sitting here talking about the, the political leanings of the people who are supposed to be the most impartial. And the only way that this ship stays running is with that check and balance of the judicial system. So I don't care who was wrong, whether political elite or, po- uh, uh, or um, public figure, celebrity elite or whoever. Um, if there was some wrongdoing that was done and it's a punishable offense, then those people should be punished for for those actions does everybody agree with that yeah. sure why not yeah. absolutely i'm kind of interested it's a little curious to me how much traction this admission scandal's gotten i mean because it really took off i mean there's a lot of things that happen and they don't take off as much as the admissions um i think maybe it's a kind of a zeitgeist kind of a, a reflection of our culture this idea that there's privileged people and then there's the non-privileged, and mm-hmm. we have privileged people. And I'm not saying it's right at all that the privileged people would do this, but it feeds into that narrative that there's some people that can do things and other people that can't, the class warfare. I think that's part of it. It's very illustrative of uh, the, the difference, the stark difference between the haves and the have-nots. The, the children of the haves have always 
paid their way into colleges. It might have been paying money toward the endowment or whatever. But this is taking it to a new low, and it strikes at all the opportunities that have been taken from others who worked their way through. This is an issue that if you have a brilliant strategist, you can get to the nerves of maybe some people that normally wouldn't vote for you because of what you just discussed. There's a class warfare thing here. And Donald Trump, even though he's a billionaire, usually has... Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Bruno, you were, going, you were making a point during the break about the admission scandal. The admission scandal is not left versus right or rich versus poor. The admission scandal is, and I think you're absolutely right that this does play right into Trump's strong suit, assuming he can find a brilliant strategist, um, which is hard in the GOP for a wide variety of reasons. That's but true. The, uh, the the fact is that this is elites versus everybody else, and the elite uh, make up the, the there's elites who are left and right and. Some of them are crony capitalists. Some of them are limousine liberals. Some of them are uh, the administrative class that has actually run roughshod over this country over the last few years. So there's a lot to be had there. But this is just the higher education in America, and I'll say this for everyone to hear me, is a corrupt scam. Mm-hmm. And the education that takes place in higher education is an afterthought. It has become a playground for administrators to take the best higher education system in the world and turn it into a way to suck money from future earners into their pockets through student loans all of which should be uh, all of it should be zeroed out right absolutely i agree with that avis do you see it that dire i don't know if i see it that dire but i do feel like uh when you look at the when you look at this whole scandal it is in a lot of ways, uh, a phony scandal because, as I said to you, the elite have always found a way to get their kids into college through manipulating the system. Uh, there is People take great offense at what has been discovered about this because uh, it's pulling back the covers. But it, it speaks a lot to uh, the value system at all of these institutions. You know, uh, I, I question sometimes what is the difference between what they're teaching at these other institutions that one should cost $110,000 a year and another is a $10,000 a year education there. They're teaching the same classes. And, uh, yes, there's it's probably some difference. Though, right? It's about they, But they it's all credentialism. It's credentialism. Yeah. It is credentialism. And, and that is the, the pedigree is what gets you in the door. 
uh, whether you learned anything or not. We know by experience and by exposure there are a lot of people who have the pedigrees who aren't well-educated, who aren't smart. You say to yourself, how did this person get through? Are there any of the, uh, does anybody feel sorry for some of the students? Not, not all, but some of the students. Mm-hmm. Are, are there some students out there that maybe didn't know what their parents yeah. were doing? Oh, Absolutely. Sure. I don't think that you could prove that every student knew what their parents were up to. Um, and a student, for example, who is a beneficiary of a legacy, I'm not going to blame that student because their parent put $500,000 down on, uh, you know, bleachers for the gym. I mean, there's, there, and there's some cases, I don't know in the case of Lori Laughlin's daughters how much they knew. I mean, they seem like airheads. Frankly, they didn't, didn't even want to be in school, so what can you say about that? But I think that um, some students, um, you're dealing with an 18-, 19-year-old. A lot of them are just kind of, I think, at the mercy of what their parents want to do. So I think this really needs to be ascribed to not just the parents, but it takes a willing administrator and somebody, the, you know, the Berkeley, California exec who has a yacht and the kids are out on it. The system is really broken. Well, I think yeah. the saddest thing about the kids in this case, I, I mean, I, I'm remembering the one quote from one of the parents who was on the phone. He was wiretapped and he said, I don't really see a moral problem with any of this. You know, so what you have here is, and and let's let's say that those, let's say that these thirty parents that were indicted, or however number it was, let's say they represent a slice of the of the upper middle class parent class. Let's say they represent maybe fifteen or twenty percent of those kinds of parents. If you want to know what the problem that's going on with America these days is, that you have an entire strata of very very rich people, um, elite, make a lot of money. They have. They have less morals than a poor hobo hopping rail cars. I mean, they're just bad people. And these poor girls, you know, the girl who was this parent, her dad's a scumbag. He's an, he's an amoral piece of crap, and she had to be raised by him. Look what that's doing to our society. I want to talk about looking ahead to 2020, and I asked this a couple of weeks ago when Mike Miller was there, and I want to ask everybody. We'll start with you, Derek. Um, there are all kinds of statistics that are out now suggesting that millennials are more susceptible uh, to accepting uh, socialism. Uh, and so my question to you is, would you like to – and you want Bernie Sanders to be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party. Would you like to see 2020 to be uh, a campaign by, for, and about uh, the future of the country uh, weighing socialism against capitalism, a, a full-blown debate at all levels of, of – presidential politics yes so uh i guess i i'm not against the idea of capitalism and then it's brought a lot of great things to the world um unfettered capitalism is a different story um and so let's take it back to when we're children uh we were taught that sharing is the best way to communicate with others and to find harmony amongst the masses yet as adults when we talk about sharing we're like that's socialism that's not okay we can't take from these to give to these like that and so i'm like where along the way is that lost so Yes, for 2020, I would like us to get back to an element of sharing being the forefront of our conversations. And it's not saying that, you're, that one, one part is not allowed to have. It's just that how much of this total pie should you have? Ought, uh, you Avis Lavelle, would you like to see the Democratic campaign of 2020 be a, a, an open debate <laughs> on this subject? Because it appears, at least with the principles that are already running, uh, that it may emerge and that may become an issue. Is is that good for the country? I think it's the labeling that is the problem. Mm-hmm. I think that this is 
capitalism, this is bad. Mm-hmm. This is socialism, this is bad. I think that it, it, there is a lot more fluidity in people's ideas if they're not caught up in the labels of it. I think there but is. Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. He's mm-hmm. proud of mm-hmm. that. Label. Not a socialist, a democratic socialist. That's what I mean, isn't it is. He's a democratic yep, socialist. Right. There's a difference. And, and yeah. you know, Elizabeth Warren is pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just saying is, would a good knockdown down debate at all levels? I mean, people running for Congress, people running for the Senate. Uh, Jennifer, would you like to see that? That sort of really open, robust discussion. You know, I really would. But here's the problem with that from my perspective as someone who is an unrepentant capitalist who believes that uh, a lot of sharing has occurred with capitalists who have money who share their money. This doesn't need to be uh, uh, dictated from on high. Okay. Um, But I would love to have that debate. The problem when you're coming to the Republican Party from my side of the aisle is they seem very incapable of having this debate. We haven't had anybody since Reagan. I think Trump can approach it. But um, as far as the um, House leaders and the senators and everybody else, they're not able, they aren't engaging, hey, here are the problems of socialism from our perspective. They're really rotten at messaging. And it's a target-rich environment. We have Venezuela. We have Finland. Their healthcare system is on the complete collapse. We have things going on, and if we have an able messenger, they could say, here, this is what's going on. Let us not just say, oh, Finland, Venezuela, but actually explain things but unfortunately we have a dearth of intelligence on my side of the aisle lately bruno if, if, first of all if every I, I agree with ava said if we all step back from the rhetoric and had a decent conversation about this maybe we could find some middle ground in inside a robust political debate Here, here's my take on the situation and that's this obviously politically there's a debate between socialism and capitalism but the fact of the matter is that one is completely subservient to the other that you cannot if you, that you Sweden and Denmark and Finland, those are capitalist countries. Those are highly, highly successful capitalist countries that have decided to do a different mix of social programs than the United States, and we're a little bit harder over here. And maybe that's the right thing, maybe that's the wrong thing, and let's have an election, let's have a debate. But the fact is that before you can redistribute a dime of wealth, that wealth has to be created. And socialism doesn't create wealth. Right. It, 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 there's a border. There's a line with which you can go. You can say that well, Denmark still creates wealth, and Germany still creates wealth, and Germany's more capitalistic than Denmark, and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, if you cross that divide between no longer really capitalism and over to socialism, you stop creating wealth. Everyone gets poorer. Everyone gets dumber. Everyone has less stuff. And capitalism produces wealth, which is why, since the fall of the Soviet Union, the number of people that have come out of poverty worldwide is solely because the world became aggressively more capitalist. So sure. let's have a debate on yeah, how no. we redistribute it. No, but let's yeah. not kill the goose that laid the golden eggs. Yeah, no, and that's fine. And, and, and again, we're not talking about dismantling capitalism, but we are talking about corporations and people that have enormous amounts of wealth finally paying their fair share. And I think that you can call that what you want, but the reality is that, hold on, the reality is that Amazon paid zero in taxes last year, one of the most, the most profitable company in the world. Like, how is that okay? And they operate here, but they do their taxes offshore so they don't have to pay anything. And what they do do onshore, the, both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, they're all in the same group that make these laws that benefit corporations. And so all we're saying is it's time for them to, and, and if they paid their fair share, and if, they, and if corporations paid their fair share, then we would have enough money to do health, socialized health care and expand Medicaid. And, Bruno wants and, to So uh, somewhere in there, I, I lost the point that you were saying, but I, I just want, I want to reiterate this point, is that, first of all, let's, let's take a real simple example. The Green New Deal was a trial balloon 
that was shot across the bow of the world. There, there was, I don't know who did it. I don't know. It was more than just AOC coming up with something she posted right. on her website. That was a trial balloon. There is nothing in the Green New Deal that is remotely, let's let capitalism produce some wealth so we can redistribute it. Everything about the Green New Deal underneath the surface was 100% totalitarian. You can't have planes. No, you can't stop, have gasoline stop, anymore. Stop right there. You no, we're going to no. get, get, no, get rid of cars. I mean, no, look, they didn't those say that. were in the no, trial. They did not say yes, that. They were, I read it. Look, first of all, I, I, I really feel a little disrespect that you weren't listening to me as I was talking a minute ago. No, I was. But I appreciate your honesty. What, what I'll say about the airplanes, they weren't saying taking away airplanes. What they're saying is investing in high-speed rail, which is a far more efficient mode of transportation. Not in the and, U.S. And what they were saying, well, how do we know? We, we <laughs> well, built we've the already na- had California's attempt. California. We built the national highway system, and at the time they said that that couldn't be done, right? There was two dudes named Lewis and Clark who decided to go map the yeah. whole United States a long time. They said that couldn't be You're done. They're very good at misdirection. That was a lot of private investors. That was a lot of private investments in the... Um, the the highway system. We're, they set a deadline for this in the Green New Deal. Okay, it was a ten to twelve year long period. And then when Mitch McConnell wants to put it to a vote because it's out there, they champion this. AOC comes out and says, uh, takes the fence at it and says it's a stunt, a stunt to vote on legislation that you made a press conference over. Back shortly in Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. doubles down, though. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. By the way, uh, I think most people know that we do this program from the Museum of Broadcast Communications. The current exhibit that we have here is Saturday Night Live, the whole 40-year, 40-plus history of Saturday Night Live. It's here for one more week. It closes on the 31st of March. It will be closed the next time we get together. Next Sunday night it will be closed. So if you've not come down to see it, come down and see it at the corner of Estate and Kinsey. Let's go to Roger, listening to us in Austin, Texas, on KLBJ. Go ahead, Roger. Good evening, Bruce. Good to be on your show again. Great. Nice to have you with us. Uh, yeah, on, on this discussion of socialism, uh, you know, I believe someone had a factoid about the amount of support, particularly within the younger millennial-type segment. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these people, they, they haven't paid taxes, and Folks like Bernie Sanders are like the Pied Piper running around saying, oh, well, we'll just shake down the rich, and that's going to provide all these great things that socialism is going to offer you. But the problem is the math does not work, and when this support group finds that they're going to have to pay a lot for this thing, the support's going to crater. You know, we've got a $22 trillion debt. We've got unrepairable deficits, apparently. 
We have Social Security on a trajectory to going insolvent, Medicare, Medicaid, and they talk about Medicare for all, but they never mention that the people that are in Medicare have paid into Medicare most of their working lives, and they also pay a premium every month. It is not a free single-payer health care system. And, you know, all of these promises that are being made and this Green New Deal, if anyone has actually read this resolution, is completely absurd. And the, at leading the charge of absurdity is the fact that there is no proof, not one shred of evidence that shows that the things they want to do in the Green New Deal will have any effect on climate change much less all the societal re-engineering that they're trying to do. All right, Roger, stop for a second. I want to ask uh, fellow Texan, uh, Mark, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Derek Addis, who joins us tonight from the Brownsville area. What do you think of what Roger just had to say? Yeah, I think it's awfully presumptuous for you to assume that none of these people paid any taxes, like the people that are going to be voting. Um, I, for one, have been working since I was uh, right up to 16 years old. So I've been paying taxes since I was 16. I'm 32 now. So my entire life I've paid in, and I'm one of those Bernie Sanders voters and supporters. And at the rally that I went to, it looked like the majority of the people there were of voting age as well. And it would also be presumptuous for me to say that they are all taxpayers, but I wouldn't say the uh, the opposite. Um, I, look, I'm not a champion of the Green New Deal, but I am a champion of, of lofty ideas because the only way that things change in the world is with this crazy idea that everyone says is not going to happen. So the, if the idea to battle climate change or to change the way that we move humans around the world comes from the Green New Deal, I don't care if it comes from the Green New Deal or a napkin written at lunch with your best friend. It's the, I think that it's wrong for, for us to, to say that we can't have these ideas, that like it's, it's so crazy, the Green New Deal, it could never happen. Well, how about we, we talk about what from that can actually happen, and let's like try to meet is in the there, middle. Is there any aspect of the Green New Deal? And I real there's a lot of a lot yeah, of bullet a lot points on, on it. Yeah. Is there any one of those that you really believe in? That you know, it's it's yeah. a tenet of the Green New Deal, and you'd say, yeah, if we did this, this yeah. actually would would help, and and how would it help? Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I'm not 100 percent well versed on it, um, but something kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, I would like to to change the way the transportation system in the United States works, and we're not trying to eliminate planes. We're just saying there's probably a better way to move people around, and Europe has has shown us that with their high speed rail. Well, well that, just, those are man, those are manifestations of mechanisms that can be used to implement the New Deal, and they're going to be non-starters. I can promise you, my friend. But if you do read the uh, the resolution, you'll find that there is a tremendous amount of social engineering in this document, and there's no way to pay for these things. And you want a transportation mm-hmm. revolution? It's coming, sir. It is coming in the form of autonomous automobiles with 5G coordination. These are things that are happening now, and all of these archaic mass transit, public transit, high-capacity transit systems will be dinosaurs very soon when we have the high-level artificial intelligence-based coordination of autonomous vehicles running on 5G-coordinated systems in our cities. That other stuff, they're not on-demand, door-to-door step. They are fixed fixed destination, fixed schedule. They're inconvenient, and people will not select them when they have an option, like today with Uber, 
where they can get in, you know, a vehicle. It takes them right to where they want to go at the time that they want to do that. Yeah, They're yeah, not but, hiking to yeah. a bus stop and waiting on something yeah. that's going to take them five miles from where they want to yeah, be. No, I, Those systems I, I'm, are expensive, and they don't work well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with go you on, on autonomous vehicles in an Uber style for, like, maybe Chicago. But there's no way that – well, I assume, probably wrong to presume – but that no one is going to want to take an Uber from New York to L.A., but they probably would want to take a high-speed rail. Well, they're taking airplanes now. And they're, right. And, and airplane, newer and airplanes. Look at what flying is like now. Flying, does anyone actually love to fly now? And the, they've crammed us all into these planes. It's just it's not. I right. actually like they're to fly. They're going to cram you into a train. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Jennifer's got, a, Jennifer's got a, a comment. A couple there, of right comments. Here. I think that we're, do, we're coming up against a cultural difference because in Europe, I mean, people, the countries are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Your workplace is usually right by your house. Most people don't drive automobiles. Most people live in apartments. This is America. To make a cultural shift like that um, is going to be far... Uh, a far more difficult task than what they're making it out to be. Roger, thank you very much for listening uh, this evening. I want to thank Avis Lavelle and Derek Addis, our Democrats, leaning Democrats this evening, and also our Republicans or Libertarians, Bruno Barron and Jennifer Nevins, for being with us as part of our broadcast this evening. I want to thank Sam Greenberg. I want to thank Fritz Goldman. And I want to thank Aaron Johnson, a new member of our team, uh, for being with us uh, tonight. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. 
we can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.